everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Comedians Exposed. Today, we are welcoming the original big dog of comedy, Papa Wawa himself, <laughs> writer of the Josh Wells Weekly. Oh, nice. Yes. Please welcome Josh Wells to Comedians Exposed. Oh, thank you. I'm so, uh, it always makes me happy when somebody mentions the newsletter without me mentioning it, because like, so you write these things and you send it out and you think like it's just going out into the void and nobody's really paying attention. So thank you. That, no, that absolutely. Nice. <laughs> and the link on my Instagram too, when we release the episode, so that way they can access you. But Josh, do me a favor, let everybody know where we could find you on social media. So they know how to, again, access Josh Wells weekly. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Josh ain't funny. Uh, and uh, the, the, the newsletter itself, if you're not going to the link, you can go to joshwells.substack.com and uh, just uh, you put in your email address there. I email you once a week. That's it. I don't spam you anything like uh, nothing outrageous. Just once a week, usually Wednesday or Thursday. And that's it. And what is your, again, your newsletter? Just describe it for the audience. What is it? Um, I, uh, I just uh, briefly uh, touch on pop culture stuff I'm into. I, I talk about uh, a movie I watched in the past week, a TV show I'm currently watching, a book I'm currently reading. Uh, I listen to one new album a week for the newsletter. Uh, I talk about sports. I talk about pro wrestling. Uh, I have a top five list every week, and I begin each one with a random thought. And uh, that could be anything. It's, there's no rules. This week I compared Donald Trump to dog poop. It's a real fun adventure. Uh, and I try to put embarrassing pictures of myself on it sometimes or pictures of my adorable cat, Bella. So uh, it's a win-win for everybody. So, and you brought up, too, as soon as you said wrestling, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to talk to you about wrestling because like, <laughs> coming, a lot of comedians love wrestling. It's just been like, I feel like that's a real theme. Like, I feel like this podcast maybe should be about comedians and wrestling instead of vulnerability but <laughs> it's strange isn't it it's like a real uh i don't know like some kind of cross-pollination between uh stand-up comedy and pro wrestling that uh uh yeah it's just a lot of pro i didn't think when i first got into comedy i was gonna become buddies with a bunch of pro wrestling fans but uh here they are you know it is it's like stand-up comedy just attracts like uh, you know, nerds, geeks, and dorks of all sorts. So, you know, like, uh, you know, there's, there's so many types. Uh, why not pro wrestling dorks? <laughs> so it's pro wrestling dorky? Uh, I definitely think it's dorky. You know, like, it's, uh, uh, you know, like, I'm a 41-year-old watching grown men fake fight, basically. But I'm a, I'm a sucker for the drama. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, it's like, I know it's, you know, it is like, you know, it's fake. But it's like watching a movie, right? Like with, with a lot of good action scenes. You're like, oh, that was an amazing action scene. You know, like if you're a fan of like the John Wick movies, you're only a fan because like there's just so much badass st stuff going on. And uh, pro wrestlers fight like you wish UFC guys would fight, you know? Like you, I, I watch UFC and I'm like, this is boring. Like they usually just grapple on the ground a bit. It's, it's not very exciting to me. Anyway. I don't know. I feel like even if um, wrestling is fake, Watching the stunts, it's still to me very impressive. Like, you know, you said you're, yeah. you're 41, I'm 40. Right. And, you know, shit, your body catches up with you. And like seeing what their bodies do and go through, it's like, yeah. ooh. And you know what? I like the older I get, the more I root for like some of the older guys. Like, uh, <laughs> there's this, uh, like Chris Jericho, he's like in his 50s, man. And he's got like his beer guts kind of like taken over. Like, he's having a hard time keeping abs tight and like i'm like i love this guy he just looks old and dumpy now and uh 
he's just an asshole on the mic. Like, what's not to love about this character? Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're athletes, right? Like, I mean, they, they train like athletes. Uh, you know, they're working out all day, every day. Uh, they're getting injured. Uh, serious injuries, you know? A lot of broken necks in wrestling. It's like the most popular, that and concussions. What do you Brutal. think? It's so crazy, too, because it's like, you know, what do you think drives people to want to become pro wrestlers? Oh, man. I don't know. I think about that a lot. Like, uh, uh, I, I feel like if I was like a bigger dude, I, especially like when I was younger, like if I was like 21, 20 and I was like a big muscular guy, I think I would be into it. I'd be like, man, that looks like fun to just get in there, uh, throw guys around. And there's definitely there's a certain like validation you probably get out of that that we we get out of stand up comedy, you know. But I think maybe their validation might even be more impressive because what they're doing is. They're creating a story like on the spot, uh, usually with another person and they're sharing this moment together. And like, I can't imagine like what it feels to be in that ring, two guys putting their bodies on the line and they're suplexing and pile driving and flying off the top ropes and the crowd's like chanting, holy shit. Like that's gotta be an amazing place to be mentally inside that ring when it's going well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I feel like definitely that has a way wider swing yeah. Um, you know, kind of like, yeah, that comedy, I always feel like comedy is an emotional swing. Like when it's good, it's good. But when it's bad, it's like you it's really feel like shit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quit. Uh, you know, like how many comics just say they're, they're going to quit? You know, like it's just it's like drinking. It's like, I, you know, you wake up you're like, oh, I'm never drinking I'm again. Never like, doing bomb. that again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then next thing you know, there you are again. Yeah. You'll um, be back. Yeah. You know, what? you got to be really careful, too, because I feel like you're. Because wrestling is really popular and, you know, it really does. I feel like it taps into people's emotions really deeply. So I think, you you know, you better be careful saying that <laughs> dorks watch wrestling. Uh, I mean, the dorks, the dorks have taken over. I mean, it's almost weird to call people dorks at this point. Like Star Wars and Avengers movies, like, you know, that used to be dorks are into that. But now it's like everybody loves the Avengers. So it's like the dorks have taken over. I, it's not even like offensive to me anymore. Yeah, I don't think it ever was really. It was just you know the dorks were the you know the people in high school that played Dungeons and Dragons instead of football or whatever you know. Who do you think you were in high school? Uh, I was a hybrid. I was like a I was like a dork stoner. Uh, I I like rocker dude. Like I wasn't like a metalhead, but like in my high school because there weren't a lot of like rock people. Like all the metalheads. And uh, all the skaters and the hippies and the burnouts, like they all hung out together. And uh, we even had they, everybody else in high school, they called us the ravers. And I feel like I'm really aging my stuff. Like this is when like rave music first hit in the 90s. And like <laughs> everyone was wearing like the really wide Jankos and stuff. So it's like if you were into rock music, everybody else in the school called you a raver, which was really weird because I never listened to rave music, but I definitely hung out with raver. So I don't know, it, was, it was a strange time. So I was a raver, I guess, if you would have asked one of the popular kids what I was but to me I was just like a stoner outcast dude well thinking back okay like that now though as a 41 year old looking back in retrospect right would you rather have been the popular kid in high school or the raver I loved what I loved uh my position in high school I was yeah. I was like popular for the raver crew you know like like I was well known in the raver crew. and like because uh, my high school was really cool, man. Like, if you smoked pot, like, you kind of hung out with everybody anyways. Like, I would end up at people's houses. You know, I remember when I like, first got into high school, like, I had this weird thing about jocks and dudes who play football. They're, like, bigger than everybody. But then, like, you'd see them at, 
like a hangout somewhere with like your stoner friends and you'd be like, oh, I guess the wide receiver's cool after all. Like he's smoking pot with you and you guys get along, you know, as he's like, oh, I really like that Nirvana song. And you'd start bullshit and you're like, oh, people are people. I don't know. I had it. I had it really easy in high school. It was easy to get along in, uh, in my high school. So what about comedy? Thinking about high school and when you were young, like, did you feel that itch to do comedy? Um, did you have that drive to make people laugh when you were in high school? No, I don't, I don't even think I was a class clown. I think when I was in high school, I was like torn between like, like part of me wanted to be a poet. Uh, part of me wanted to be like a lead singer of a band. Part of me wanted to be like a philosopher. Like I was going to write books about philosophy. Uh, it, uh, uh, I mean, maybe the closest I came to comedy was like, I was like into Howard Stern. So I was like, oh, I'd love to be like the host of a radio show. But I never thought of it as like, to be it's weird i never thought of it to be funny i thought of it more as like i have a lot of interesting things to say so i would be a great radio host uh the funny thing really didn't hit till like after high school for me so what was what was the hit like what happened how do you know i don't know i think uh i think it's like i think it's two things one it's like my family my mom is like uh she's a bit She's like kind of a comedy nerd. Like she raised me and my brother on like Ghostbusters and, and uh, Caddyshack and George Carlin's stand-up comedy specials. Yeah, she would let us watch stand-up on HBO. When we were young, so that helped a lot. And my brother got really into comedy before I did, and uh, he's like a year and a half younger than me. He got into improv in New York City, and he was doing that for a couple years. And I would go see his shows, and I'm like, man, that looks cool. I'd like to give that a try. Uh, but it took me a couple years to really want to try it, and then I did. And I didn't like improv, so then I, I started doing stand-up. I was like, I, I, I want to be my own person. I want I have these ideas, and I want, you know, it's like all of a sudden the philosopher and the poet from high school was like mixing with the improv guy. It's like, I just want to tell people what I think. And that's kind of what happened. I also think working uh, jobs, uh, uh, like I kind of realized like, man, there's a lot of boring people in this world that don't like to cut loose. Like I didn't think I was funny in high school, but that's because everybody I hung out with was funny. So it was like hard to be the funny guy. But like once you like start working in offices or I worked in a hotel, it's like all these boring, humorless people. I'm like, oh, I am one of the funny ones. You know, like I came from funny. Yeah. It's just that everybody around me was funny. So I just never realized it until you dipped me in a in a circle of boring people that are not so funny. Or was everybody in high school around uh, that you were around just high? <laughs> <laughs> that might be, I mean, that, that might be part of it. I mean, you know, we... <laughs> You know, we'd get high and watch Monty Python. So that was like, we were kind of like absurdist in a way. But, you know, like, it was also when, like, Conan was, like, just getting big with his show. Like, like we all loved that shit so much. Like, that, that meant everything to us. And uh, so, like, that was kind of the humor we were into. Just silly, absurd shit. Yeah. Does that come out in your comedy now? Oh, uh, I don't know. I have such a hard time describing my comedy like i don't know what i am like sometimes i'm observational but sometimes like i'm telling stories uh i think like the longer i i stay in comedy the more i just become comfortable with like i just want to talk about my life things i've been through and i feel like that's not that's not my foundation in comedy like uh like i came up like i like absurd shit off the wall shit i loved mitch hedberg mitch hedberg's one of my all-time favorites uh i could never be anything like mitch hedberg though you know it's like uh it's depressing, but it's also kind of nice when you start finding your voice as a comic. So I don't know. I I, I don't want to say I'm a storyteller, but I, I, I just I just like talking about me and that's it. 
do you feel like that gives you an opportunity too for you? Um, cause you can, you shared how you liked philosophy. So yeah. do you incorporate your philosophy into your comedy? I don't think I do. I think I did, uh, that a bit. I think when I first started, I was like trying to like give people my point of view, more like my philosophy and shit. And like, I remember, uh, I tried to be like more political than I am now. Like I still get a little political every now and then, but, um, at first, like I wanted to be so political all the time. And I wanted to just convince people that, uh, you know, far left is the way to be. And, and I realized that like, I wasn't focusing on punchlines, you know, I wasn't focusing on setups and punchlines. Like I was just trying to get like a message across. And I think it was like deterring me from being a better comedian. And I think that's when I like started digging more into my own life. Uh, I think that no matter what I talk about in my own life, like my point of view is going to come out and you're going to kind of get a feel for like what I stand for anyways. So I don't feel any pressure to like put more into it than I have to. Cause you're just trying to like, again, be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I, which is like, honestly, it's been the hardest journey for me in comedy is like being myself on stage. Like uh, I, I, I feel so uh, insecure sometimes about like, my inner workings, you know what I'm saying? Or what I'm really thinking inside, but what, you know, like when I'm on stage, like if I can find the words, like it feels so good to let it go on a microphone and, and get it out there. Yeah. That's like exactly, you know, I feel like as a comedian, like that's exactly, you leave yourself because especially too, when you find opportunities to really truly voice, whatever it is you want to voice, you know, you, when you're being authentic like that, you run the risk uh, you know, cause you're, you're letting yourself be exposed of, you know, your authentic self. So it's scary if it doesn't go well, how do you handle, <laughs> how do you handle that? <laughs> when, when it doesn't go well, Yeah. I, when it doesn't go, I personally, I don't handle it. Well, I, I do a great job at masking up when like comedy hurts my feelings, but deep down inside, like I do not take it well. Like, uh, uh, I still, I'm like, I'm like 11, 12 years in the game. And like, I'm still like, if I have a bad set, I'm like, fuck comedy. Like, what am I doing with my life? You know? And uh, I need like a recovery uh, moment or two to like, really just, I don't know. It's kind of like, um, I, I, I love uh, sports analogies, by the way, a big sports analogy guy. I, it's like when a quarterback throws an interception in a football game, like I always think like if I was that quarterback, my game would be ruined for the rest of the day. They're always like, oh, a good quarterback has to learn how to forget. And I'm awful at that. You know, like sometimes I feel like if I bomb one night, like the next night, like there's a good chance. It's like, I'm not going to have a good night. And I hate admitting that, but like, it's like, I'm in a hit a, another sports analogy. It's like a hitting slump in baseball. I got to like hit my way out of it. You know, and if I bomb, sometimes I'll be like, uh, if like we're hanging out after, like I'll drink a little harder, you know, or I'll be a little moodier in the conversation. It's just, uh, I have a hard time compartmentalizing and separating it from everything else. I really let it affect the rest of me. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I care. I, I, you know, like I, uh, one, I care. Like, I want to be great at this. Like, I want to be a great Santa Cruz. I want people to see me, hear me, and be like, that dude was phenomenal. And, uh, and like, anything less than that, which is, like, high standards, which is probably unhealthy in a way. Anything less than that, like, kind of hurts my feelings. But also, like, when I'm bomb-bombing, like, doing real bad, and, like, I know it, and, like, it's it's on me, it's on the audience, and that happens. Look, I think most bombs are the comics' fault anyways. 
uh, I, I'm just mad at myself. I'm like, oh, you're a better comic than that. You fucked up at this part of the set. This is what you should have done. Uh, you know, you, I beat myself up a lot over it. That's a. I feel like that's a really a big debate um, between comics that if you bomb, is it you're not doing your job as a comedian or is it the audience? So it sounds like you are on, on the vein that there is no bad audiences. There's only just bad comics. I don't think it's a black and white issue. I don't think okay. it's like, uh, I, I, it's a lot of gray area. Um, especially, I mean, or the kind of comedy we do at our level, uh, we play a lot of bad rooms, a lot of shitty crowds. We do, you know, like ambush shows, like our bread and butter, where they like throw you in a bar and they're supposed to be advertising as comedy night, but they don't. You go in, there's 30 people there and they're watching football or it's pool <laughs> league night and they fucking hate you just because you're louder than whatever they came there for. So it's like, that happens so often that it's like, yeah, that you're you're setting yourself up for failure. I almost don't consider that bombing though. Like I almost like put that on the producers of those shows. Like I didn't bomb. I came here and did exactly what I should have done was tried my best to maybe make five of these people laugh and that's it. Uh, so I don't know. I, bad crowds could definitely happen, but I think sometimes like when you find yourself in a bad situation, you got to think like, who put me here? You know, like who's producing this show or who's promoting this show? Like, does the owner of this bar really give a fuck about this comedy show? And then like, you can kind of alleviate some of the stress you put in yourself in those situations. And what about the host? What do you think about the role of the host? <laughs> Hosting is so scary, man. People... People don't love to ask you to host shit. And I'm just like, oh, why? <laughs> you know, like, like inside of like, I, I just want to do a spot. The hosting is like, you're setting the pace for the night. You know, like if the host sucks up front, every comedian it has to work a little harder because of that. But not only that, like, you got to be like in a good mood all night, right? Like if you just show up and do a set and leave, like you don't have to pay attention the whole time. The host has to be locked in, uh, in, in many ways, the host is the only person paying attention the whole night. And it's like, uh, it's, 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 it's a lot of heavy lifting. I, I always find it funny that uh, we, uh, we customarily put new people in the hosting position. I think there should be more, uh, I don't know, there should be like more honor to hosting. It should be seen as like a bigger deal. It's like uh, you, you only want to choose great comedians to host. That's what I think personally. And people should be like, oh, you want me to host? Like you think I'm that good that I can yeah. host a comedy show? But instead we're like, oh, you're a new fucking MC this shit for us. And I think, yeah, especially I feel because hosting is hard. And I think um, you really have to be good at crowd work to be a good most, host. Most of the time. I don't know. I hear stories about like, especially like, like if you're hosting for some headliners, like they don't, they'll ask you not to do crowd work sometimes. Like if they're not a crowd work guy. So there's like different types of situations, but yeah, being good at crowd work helps to the host, I suppose. Well, yeah, I guess uh, if, you know, if the headliner is a big crowd work person, they're not going to want the host to do that. But then as the host, then it goes back to, okay, your material, you know, especially to like thinking about how, like, you know, how you said you try to be authentic. You know, you're like, this is me. So if you're hosting and you're just doing your act, uh, you know, and if they're like, oh, tough. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, oh, it's hosting. Feeling. Hosting is like the fakest part of the comedy show because you can't like, as a dude, it's like trying to find himself. Like as a host, you kind of do have to be like this, like uh, this, like meeting point between the comics and the audience. Like you can't, every comic on the lineup has the luxury to just go up and be themselves during their set, but not the host. The host has to be a little, I don't know, friendly so, uh, i don't know I, I don't know what's the word i'm looking for but uh 
No, you got to really, I feel like you're more like a cruise director, you know, yeah. the host, yeah. and you're just like, okay, guys, I'm going to lead you along on this, and we're going to have a great time together. Like, oh, we're all in this. And you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Outside, uh, you're like, I hate myself right now. Yeah. Very saccharine. Is that the word, right? I yeah, yes, yeah. that's a good word for it. Yeah, yes, yes. I think it's like also like you're like more concerned about hospitality than being funny at that point. You're like you're like I really want this crowd to be in a good mood. Like if it, like if they don't laugh a lot during my opening, but if they're in a good mood for the night, like I feel like I won the war. But I know and the pressure though as a host, if you don't, yeah, like if you don't have if people don't enjoy it, like I feel like that's you're carrying the weight of all the comics burnt, like bombing as well, I feel. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, if a comic bombs, it's on you to like go up there and try to say something quick to pick it back up. And that's a nightmare. Yep. As though I know, because I have a tendency um, when I'm uncomfortable, I tend to lose my filter even more and just kind of blurt things out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's a gamble. Like I have a potential to make this far worse now. <laughs> yeah you know and at that point then i just dig my heels and be like all right well this is gonna be a real shit show so you know i can't i can't go back um so what are you about then comedy so because again bombing obviously like it's horrible so when you think about your worst bomb do you remember it oh man um yeah 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 uh, <laughs> um once again bad show but it, it, this is like uh just a bad venue uh, bad situation, but uh, I was in this uh, biker Russian biker bar in Coney Island. An unforgettable thing happened to me at this at this show. So <laughs> I don't know. I was probably like third or fourth. It was just the middle of the lineup. Nobody was doing good. Uh, it wasn't anybody's fault because this Russian biker bar had like had like fifteen to twenty people there. They all knew each other, and they put all the tables together, and they had like a Thanksgiving dinner. Now, it wasn't Thanksgiving, but that's just what it looked like. They were all ordering foods and drinks and doing shots and ignoring us totally. So, like, I go up there. Uh, I'm a little new at comedy at this point. So, I'm like, I'm the one who's going to get them to pay attention. I'm going to be all up in their shit, and they're, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to make them love us. Me now, like, I would have just gone up there, done my done material, and left. And I would be like, just knowing that these guys they don't want us there. So, it's like, just tell your jokes and leave. But, but not that night. Uh, I, I was, like, trying to really get them into it. And at one point, like, a dude at the table, he gets up. He comes over to me with, like, a shot in his hand. And he's like, listen, man, I'm going to need you to shut up for five minutes. I was like, what? He's like, we're about to do a cheers. We're going to go around the table and do a cheers. And we need silence. And we don't want you talking during it. Like, this is more important than your comedy show. <laughs> And they're it. They're the only people in the bar at this point. Like, I look over at the producer of the show, and he's like, hmm. And I was like, I I tried to, like, do commentary on the moment, and it was so awkward. And nobody liked anything I was doing, especially me. Uh, but I, I, I tripped it out. I did my time. I waited for the light. Once I got lit, I got off stage. And, uh, and they gave you a shot, right? No, no. Oh, I thought dude. you got a shot off for you too. Uh, no, he was oh, just like, okay. he was like holding the shot in his hand, like to let me know that they were gonna do a cheers, I guess. Oh. Which yeah, would that's be nice. even worse. I was like, okay, at least yeah. if he's gonna be like, here, here's a shot for you. I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. Yeah, oh, and this, this sucks. 
there's no stage. It was like, I'm on the floor, uh, the same floor there. And so like, he walked right up to me, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no barrier, no nothing. At, at that point, we're just two dudes and he's a Russian biker and I'm me and he's got all his boys there. And I'm like, uh, this is, I was a little scared, just a little bit. But I think that goes back to your point of like, that's on the producer. You know? Yeah, that was a poorly... Uh, uh, a poorly just a poor place for comedy um uh, what can you do i mean you know like uh we people produce these shows i you know i've tried it you you, you try to find a bar that you think is going to be receptive to it and you get in there and it's just a bad night the bar does you no favors they don't advertise or whatever so you you produce so let's talk about uh wawa because josh uh, is a producer at wawa social club so how has producing been for you uh yeah so i co-produce uh hell yeah comedy shows uh with my co-producer Aaron Wahlberg, and we do uh uh we've been trying to do monthly stuff we've been doing it since like uh january last year and when we started it was a lot of fun before the pandemic hit you know and uh we were getting comics out and we were getting you know we we're getting a little audience and uh then the pandemic hit and it made it challenging but the summer was nice the summer was nice we were able to do outdoor shows um it was easy still like once we were outdoors, it was easy to get non-comics to show up. And uh, we were just doing fun things. We were doing 50, 50 raffles and we were selling like uh fruit punch, spiked fruit punches and stuff. And and, that, and then also that's how we were paying the comics was the profit we made off of that. So we were paying comics, not a lot of money, but we were paying them. So, and like we we're having, I thought good shows, fun shows. We were having open mics immediately after the show. So tons of comics would show up. It felt like, it felt like a big comedy event for the area, you know? But then, uh, you know, winter hit, <laughs> you know, it couldn't be outside anymore. And uh, once the numbers started spiking again, like we kind of decided that we were going to still produce stuff, but mostly just comedy shows for comics. Like we would do like three or four book comics and then just do an open mic right after. Because uh, uh, right now, like it's, it's kind of hard and almost disingenuous to invite the public into a room, you know, but yeah. comics, they know it they're getting into you know it's like they, they get it if they want to be there they know the risk sort of and i mean we we try to social distance and wear masks and stuff you know but where do you think that lies because i've talked to other comics about this before like doing comedy in the pandemic like having this idea of because i mean, obviously the pandemic's hard for everyone um yeah so one particular like commonality though for comedians is this back and forth because of doing comedy or not doing comedy in person. And some people, you know, it's like risk, like what is worth my risk? And it's interesting how, again, a lot of comics, like, like you said, like comics know what they're getting into. So why do you think, what do you think is the internal drive? Like you yourself, like you've gone out and done comedy, like inside, you know, socially distant with masks, but, you know, thinking about like that drive, what's that internal drive? Do you think that pushes comedians to want to do that? Uh, I mean, it's just a need to, to do the, this joke teller thing. I mean, like, uh, just because the circumstances suck. It's like, I, you know, I, I certainly love it as much as I ever had. So like, it's hard 
uh, if the opportunities are out there, it's hard to be like, I'm not going to go chase that. Like I'm going to stay inside. And especially I'm right now, it's like a great example. Like a lot of bars, especially in Jersey are opening up and, and they're starting to take chances. Like you're starting to see people like kind of producing bar shows again. And you're like, all right, well, if the bar is fine with it and if the rules say we're allowed to do it, then fuck it. I'm not going to stay home. I'm going to, if other people are out telling jokes, I'm going to tell jokes. Um, uh, there is, there's obviously a risk. Um, I caught COVID. I almost certainly caught it at a comedy show um, because there was a comedy show too where a lot of people caught it. I, I'm not trying to laugh at it. It's just, uh, you know, but try to find the humor in uh, the darkness, I guess. So it's like, uh, I don't know. It's hard. It's like, I know the risk, but it's just, I love to tell these jokes. I can't be scrolling through my social media knowing that other people are out there doing it. And I'm going to sit at home on the sidelines. I just, I can't do it. What do you think you can't do it? So why, because I feel like, again, that comes, it's ultimately the question we're kind of looking at is deciding like, well, what is someone's life worth living for? Um, You know what I'm saying? Like in terms, like everybody's alive, but it's like, you know, again, like doing comedy brings such satisfaction and joy. Like some other comics I've spoken with have kind of said this idea of if I can't do it, then what's the point, you know? Right. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I don't want to like live my life in, in, in time out. For you know, like, uh, I I did at first the first you know when the lo- you know, when the lockdowns hit last March, uh, I like well, I mean everything closed down, so there were no opportunities. So it's like, all right, this is life now. But I mean, once the summer, once the, like summer rolled around and people started doing outdoor stuff, it was like, yeah, we're gonna do this. This is what we do. I don't know, like, I can't, I can't, I can't just wake up, go to work uh go to sleep you know like i, I just i gotta chase my passions this, this is what i'm passionate about this is what i love to do uh i, I just i can't imagine not doing it and if yeah, there's definitely a risk there but i don't know you, you it's a calculated risk and you try to be safe while you're out but but then like again it goes it goes back to again like you said chasing your passion and like how did you end up though during when lockdown first happened and there was no opportunity um to do like comedy in person how did you scratch your itch for- I did zoom mics Yeah how how did you find zoom mics Uh they were they were showing up on Facebook that's kind of how I found them they were showing up like in the same comedy groups where you know we were plugging in open mics before no no, no. Not, i meant how did oh. uh, i meant like how did you find oh. like, the experience i'm sorry no no it's fine. Uh, um uh I, I i almost hate talking about it because like it feels like such a sore issue with a lot of people i did not enjoy uh zoom comedy but it did scratch the itch um i don't know it felt like uh, I, I don't know if comedy's a drug zoom is like the watered down version of that drug it's like you still get the high but it's just it's, it's not the same and you know it you know like you know you're kind of cheating yourself or something but i i don't begrudge anybody that does zoom comedy uh i think i think to a certain degree like i gave up too easily on zoom comedy i think it's like anything else in comedy it's like it's like working out it's like exercise like you got it you got to give your muscles time to grow. Like you'll get better at Zoom comedy if you keep doing it. I didn't really give myself the opportunity. I was so like I I don't think I gave Zoom comedy open mics a, a, a fair shot. People are still doing them. I you know it's it's still a pretty popular thing. 
Yeah, it definitely is. There's still a lot. Um, and especially thinking about, too, how the pandemic might change things, you know, like. Right. Um, definitely, yeah, there's a lot more Zoom comedy shows. It's kind of funny, too, because I've done some Zoom comedy shows. And I feel like I've had more friends come and attend because it's, you know, so easy for them. They're like, oh, I'm going to watch your show today. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, like this is awkward. I would get, I would get some weird outliers, you know, like people like I would never expect to check me out. Like because, you know, you just post a link. You're like, hey, this is going on right now. You can see me do comedy right now. If yeah. I, and I was like, it'd like be somebody that like your Facebook friends with, but maybe like you've only seen, you know, like seven times in your life totally like, oh, OK, thank you for supporting, man. Like. Because it's easy. It kind of actually brings us to uh, what I wanted to talk to you about, you know, this idea, especially because now like Zoom makes comedy so much more accessible for so many people. Um, So you run the risk of people in your life coming across your comedy. And I know for me, that makes me, again, really uncomfortable because some of the stuff I joke about, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want people hearing that. But I still want to try to do the joke. So what about for sure. you? Do you have jokes like that where, you know, yeah. you're kind of like, oh, no. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I, a, a few. I have like a, a I have like a rule of thumb where it's like if I can't tell the joke in front of my mom, then I shouldn't tell it. My mom's really cool, though. Like I joke about, you know, smoking crack and doing cocaine in front of my mom. And it's not a problem. Like, I don't feel weird about it at all. Like she knows, like I was kind of wild in my twenties, so it's fine. But like, uh, like I have an abortion joke that, uh, that I wrote and I'm a real, I really, as a joke, I think it's really good, but I hate the subject topic. Like I, I hate it. It's about, it's really personal. It's about, you know, it's about an abortion that I'm involved with. And like, I, I almost feel like I don't even have a license to tell those jokes because like the person on the other end, the woman that that's, that's her situation too. In fact, more her situation in mine really. And like, I never really went on my way to like get permission to be joking around about that. So it's like, I have this joke and I've told it a couple of times and it's gone over. Okay. Uh, but like, I mostly, I, I just gave up on it. I'm just like, I, I don't feel comfortable telling it for, you know, three, those three big, reasons one it would make my mom uncomfortable two uh the subject matter is as it's hard to talk about in any room really uh and three i don't know if uh the woman involved on the other side of that story would even be okay with it that's um it's interesting uh yeah obviously abortion i definitely agree with you 100 percent as soon as you say that word immediately like people's buttholes get super tight and no matter how well written the joke could be it's like that word is super triggering. Um, Very. You could shut down half a room immediately with the word. Just yeah. the word. And you're yes. like, fuck. You know, like, no, just hear me out. Um, my my setup for the joke, though, th- you don't know I'm talking about abortion until it's a little too late. So that's the saving grace of that joke. I compare <laughs> it. I compare it to something. I compare it to having children. And I talk about being 41 and not having kids yet. Just me talking about my life. And then everyone's like, I oh, just talk about life like everything else and then boom it comes out and it's too late <laughs> sneak them sneak attack yeah 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 you got um bill hicks had a quote uh he said you can't just push him off the ledge you gotta walk him over there first or you gotta walk, <laughs> yeah it's not like you gotta walk him over so it's like whenever you're doing i always think about that whenever i'm doing like dicey material or like a hot topic it's like uh it, it, like slow build up 
that, you know what else too you brought up that I found kind of interesting that I wanted to ask you because um, you said that the person at the other end of the you know involved in the story you don't know how they would feel about this so that's you know I haven't really talked a lot yet about comedians and their idea it sounds like you're kind of like this idea of getting consent from people because again you're talking about your life so obviously your life is going to involve people in your life in your comedy so does that affect your relationships does comedy impact your personal relationships yeah um uh i maybe i don't know i feel like anyone that i'm friends with before comedy has been gracious enough to remain my friend. Uh, like I said, in, in this instance with this specific abortion joke, I've never told this joke in front of the other person. She's never seen me do comedy. We, we don't really hang out like that, but uh, I can just imagine, I don't know, one thing leads to another and she ends up in the same building that I'm telling jokes in. Uh, if I saw her, I'm definitely like scratching that joke off tonight. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I have like some material that could possibly damage some relationships but so far i've been i've been very lucky like no one's no one's uh uh taking me off the christmas list just yet <laughs> it's so hard uh having like writing material and finding you know that sweet spot of where you could joke about people in your life and you're not gonna uh upset them you know yeah i think like my biggest like trick with that is i always try to be the butt of the joke in the end you know like if i'm involving other people uh usually it's the jokes on josh josh is the idiot whatever like uh uh even if like you are sort of making fun of somebody else like in a joke like somehow try to make them the hero by the end of the joke i find usually uh that, that that's a good way to try to smooth that out to try yeah definitely i don't think i've mastered that at all <laughs> i have um I have a bit about a slightly racist uncle that uh, that I just wrote recently, and I don't want to do it at shows because I just don't want people in my family to be like, "Which uncle?" <laughs> so I'm just like, eh, I'm just. Uh, I, I feel like that one, like that joke, like I haven't really turned it into a way where I'm the butt of the joke. Like it's just, it's just about uh, COVID, holidays being canceled, missing your family, and missing them so much that you even miss a slightly racist member of your family, and. Uh, but uh, I feel I feel awfully uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah, how come? Because uh, I love my family. I don't want them to think that I'm out here like, oh, my family's racist, you know? Yeah, but isn't that like you, because you talk about things being shades of gray, isn't that the complexity of loving someone is that you're going to love someone and they're in spite of? Well, that's what you think. I mean, I mean that's a nice way to put it, but uh, it's hard to expect everyone to be that open to that concept, I think. Yeah. Uh, I have another bit, though, that I was working on uh, that I don't feel comfortable about either, and it's not offensive at all. It's, uh, it's about crying. Crying? <laughs> crying, and how... 2020 was the saddest year of my life and I didn't cry once. I didn't cry at I my good friend, comedian, did you know Joe Dean? I knew who he, I met him a couple times. I know yeah, he passed, right? He passed away. Beautiful human being. I fucking love Joe Dean. And I didn't fucking cry at all and I felt awful. I was like what's wrong? Something is wrong with me this year that or last year that 
I, I just I I was like, this is the craziest year ever. All this sad shit's going. On. I I cry every other year. Like I'm I'm I think I'm I think I'm man enough to admit. It. Like yeah, I've cried when I was 39, 38, 30. Like there was always some time during the year. You know, you go to funerals, something heartbreaking happens. You watch Rocky three, whatever. Like crying happens, and uh, yeah, it was good to cry. It's important. Like uh, well. That's what I was saying. So, like, I like I was trying to craft this joke. Like, what's wrong with me that I'm not crying during the saddest year? Like, what is it? Uh, I I couldn't I couldn't quite finish the joke. I, I just could never fully craft it. And every time I brought it up, I felt weird talking about it. <laughs> I was like, this is the ultimate vulnerable shit right here. And I just like I don't know. Like, I just I I didn't have the heart to like keep going at it. You know, like sometimes like jokes. They take forever to craft, you know, like, and you just keep telling them over and over and you keep hoping that you find like a new angle or something to make it work. I just couldn't make it work. And after a while, I was like, I just think I don't enjoy talking about crying in front of a, a room of people. I think that's it. Oh, you know what? I know what you bring up a good point. Um, Cause it does, it takes a really long time to craft jokes and work through it. And that just, it kind of makes me nervous, you know, um, Sometimes with wanting to tackle subjects that are, you know, uncomfortable or controversial, like you said, like with abortion, doing abortion jokes, it's very, people are automatically like on edge, but it's like, okay, but why can't, because I, I don't know if you have this drive as a comedian, but you want to make the things that are dark funny. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, uh and, and, and like, I'm not one of these people that thinks that I don't think anything's off limits of comedy. Like I'm, you know, like I'm from the school of George Carlin when he said, uh, anything could be funny, you know, like, uh, just, it's just a matter of finding the wording. And, uh, so like, I don't begrudge anybody for going after dark topics, but I think like, if you're going after something like I I've written a bunch of shit. And I'll write it and I'll just write it because I thought it, you know, I'd be like, I thought this, I have to write it down. It's, it's just like that comedian compulsion. Uh, you think something's even slightly funny, no matter how fucked up it is, you write it down and you'll probably try it at a mic once or twice. Uh, but you know, sometimes you say things out loud and you're like, I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable saying it. Uh, it's not that I'm scared of the, it's not that I'm scared of the topic. M maybe specifically, it's just, I don't feel comfortable on stage and then i lose my swagger on stage you know my composure my, my charisma to the audience it's a lot going on there's a lot to think about there is a lot of a lot of moving parts in comedy yeah for sure so but Josh, I just want to say thank you so much. We've loved having you today as our guest on Comedians Exposed. And I was just hoping again if you can let everybody know again one more time where they could find you on social media and let us know any upcoming events that we can, where we can find you. You got it. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. This is great. I love the concept of the show. This is, uh, uh, this is the deepest I've talked to anybody on a zoom uh, platform or any kind of platform <laughs> like that. Uh, the whole pandemic. So thank you for that. Uh, very nice to open up. Um, Twitter, Instagram, you can find me at Josh Ain't Funny. Uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter at uh, joshwells.substack.com. Um, we are co, me and Aaron are co producing a show, a hell, well, not really a show, it's a hell yeah open mic. It's Aaron's 40th birthday, so she's going to host it, and we're going to have a bunch of crazy shit going on, uh, tons of surprises. It's going to be an open mic, but not really. 
but you are going to put your name in a bucket and you'll be called up eventually. And you're going to have to say something on the mic, but it probably won't be your material. Uh, so if that's something you might be into, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a, a birthday party and an open mic, I guess, at Wawa Social Club in North Bergen, New Jersey, March 5th, 8 p.m. Uh, it's free. We'll probably bother you to buy 50-50 tickets though when you walk through the door. Uh, and that's about it. Wonderful. Well, Josh, again, it's always wonderful to talk to you. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you too. It's been it's been a minute, so 